Welcome back to another episode of Sunday Golds. Aria Masudi and Brett Nevitt. Florida State baseball now 32-19. and 19. A big series win against the Miami Hurricanes over the weekend. Uh, a tough walk-off loss in Gainesville against the Florida Gators on Tuesday night. And then a big series coming up against the North Carolina Tar Heels this weekend. A Thursday, Friday, Saturday season ending for the regular season, at least, series between the Knolls and the Tar Heels. We'll talk about a little bit of everything here and also kind of break down the NCAA regional picture. And, uh, Brett, I think before we talk about the Florida game, I know that's fresh on a lot of people's minds. We're recording here on this Wednesday afternoon. I think the the guys are actually heading up to Chapel Hill, I believe, in the next hour or so if they haven't already left here around lunchtime. But um, Miami – Helped Florida State a lot. We touched on a lot of things, I think, in that instant react, so we won't spend a whole lot of time. But I thought overall, big weekend for FSU. You saw some roles I thought that kids really shined in. Ross Dunn in the bullpen. Uh, Wyatt Crowell continues to be really strong. And uh, a couple of bats that have really come to life for Florida State here in the month of May. Yeah, it was a good weekend to, you know, put some things together in those last couple games. Still don't think you played your best ball that, that weekend, but... You got some big performances from some guys. Um, you know, we mentioned Tyler, Jordan, and Brett in the lineup. Um, Jaime on Sunday with a big performance, three RBIs. Ross and, and Wyatt, like you mentioned, and also Hubbard on Saturday's start. Uh, some guys came up in some some big spots and got the job done for you and gave you a chance at, at hosting. And, um, you know, I think you're, you're tied for second in the country after that weekend with quad one wins. Um so just good to keep stacking some some good series wins. I think FSC's won ten of thirteen series so far this year. Um, this team's built to win series. It's built to win a super regional, uh, and they've they've showed that so far this year. I think on weekends. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think the the weekend against Miami gave you the opportunity you were looking for. It's now a real possibility this team can host. And a couple of projections have Florida State now as a host. D one baseball has the Knolls as a twelve seed, and now hosting. I believe uh, Georgia, College of Charleston, and Coastal Carolina in Tallahassee. So you're starting to see the respect for Florida State. What we've been talking about all year is, is they're winning series, they're winning weekends, and that matters. The RPI now is at 21 with a strength of schedule uh, of six. Um, and then you've got 15 quality one uh Q1 wins, right? Tier 1 wins, quad 1. And that's that's loud. Good non-conference schedule. Your ACC record's respectable now at 15 and 12. And, Brett, you and I have maintained if you get to 17 ACC wins in a regular season coming up against North Carolina, if you can take those two out of three, I think you've put yourself in a more likely-than-not scenario to host. Yeah, I think more than anything, you kind of just need to win three or next four, however that happens, or I guess – just three three games in the next five games, I guess, if you go one and one in an ACC tournament or something like that with a series win at UNC. I think if you lose the series at UNC, then you need to advance in the ACC tournament. Um, you know, FSU still has a chance to do some damage in, in the Atlantic division as well. I think if FSU was to sweep the series this weekend and, and UNC and – I mean, not UNC, UL and uh, UVA both lost their series, then you'd be the Atlantic division champs. And I think if you win the series and both those teams get swept, um, you'd win that as well. So, um, you know, obviously that you need some help there and you got to execute yourself, but you're not completely out of it. Um, and you're not completely out of that running for the top four spot in the ACC tournament, which is so huge 
because of that, um, you know, not having to win two games. Uh, you can usually just go one and one in advance. But um, so that's huge. It's another huge component of this upcoming weekend. And, um, you know, the good thing is everything's still on the line for this team and everything's still in front of them. And um, the way they stack the schedules this year, it's just given them so many opportunities to, to stake a claim to one of those regional host spots. Yeah, and that opportunity comes up against North Carolina, and you had a good chance at Florida to really boost your RPI. I think we actually dropped three or four spots because of the loss, and, man, that was gut-wrenching, right? Second straight year in Gainesville that the Knowles have been walked off, and this time it was Sterling Thompson against Andrew Armstrong, and uh, Florida State played really well, I thought, you know, for for large parts of the game, and good energy. I, I was curious to see how FSU would respond after – exerting so much emotion against Miami this weekend and such a short turnaround to have to turn to go and play Florida at their home park and um you just couldn't get it done uh it sucks because you were right there and there were some balls that were hit hard late in the game especially to to maybe give you the the big lead and potentially help you win that ball game and then Florida ends up having the biggest at bat of the night yeah so I think we'll end up talking about some of the moves that were made a little bit, but you know the biggest thing for me was it felt like the same exact thing almost as the first game against Florida this year in Jacksonville. Um, UF made big defensive plays and FSU didn't. It all really comes down to you know Jaime drops that ball in right field near the wall and Florida grabs an extra run on that. Um, <clears throat> Evans makes a really nice catch on a on a ball hit by B Rob to the right field wall. <coughs> you know, and I think it's the sixth inning. Um, while crashing through the, the bullpen wall, um, Halter at third base robs T-Mart of a hit in the ninth inning. Uh, they, they threw out a couple of runners on the bases. I think one was a stolen base, one was another base running error. Um, I think FSU also had a couple bad relays, too. Um, so it's just one team was sharper than the other, and at the end of the day, they, they made you pay for it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just it comes down to making the big plays when they're there for you, and, and, and you didn't, and, and UF did. You live, yeah, you live with that. And so big win for them. And that's just how the game goes sometimes. And it's tough. And give Florida credit. <laughs> they made the plays. And that's that sucks because, like, you know, the game in Jacksonville, they, they made some plays. And uh, more than anything, I thought you missed an opportunity. You had a chance to really help yourself this week. Um, you put yourself in a good position, right, with the, the series win against Miami. I thought if you would have beat Florida – you would have had some room for error to go into Chapel Hill, maybe drop both two out of the three and still be in a decent spot with an ACC tournament win to host. Now you've made it a little bit tougher on yourself. And I think, too, we're asking some questions uh, about roles this time of year. Yeah, um, definitely. And I think I've been voicing my concerns over that for a while now, about a month. Um, I mean, you're at May 17th or May 18th, I guess it is now, May 17th yesterday. And you don't have a lefty-lefty guy. You don't have a righty-righty guy. You don't have either of those. You have a lot of guys that have turned that have turned into long relievers um, to pair up with starters. But the thing is, it, if, if one guy goes off script, one guy has a bad day, then, then you're completely behind the eight ball the way you've set it up. Um, you know, Wyatt Crowell is really a one-day-a-week a one, one guy. He wasn't available at UF after throwing um, on Saturday. And he's got to be available for this upcoming weekend. So he can't be your lefty-lefty guy. Jonas Galaro 
has been that guy all year, but they've, he's shown that he's uh, more valuable in a different role. And, you know, the changeup really makes him just as hard against righties. And, and you know, he struggled coming into situations with guys on base this year um, and, and leaving them and stranding them on base. So since you used him in those situations over and over again, and you didn't really give opportunities to other people like Andrew Armstrong, um, you get to this point in the season and you're throwing Army out there in that situation where the splits, the numbers probably tell you to go lefty-lefty, but when it comes to Army's experience in that spot, his ability to execute in that spot against one of the best bats in the SEC um, and a guy that's probably going to be a first or second round pick this upcoming year, I think you just got to go with the arms that have shown you you can do it right there. And, um, you know, to me, it's just – it's a larger issue. It's a bigger picture issue with this this program not developing kids, not giving kids opportunities to get better. If, if kids aren't given the chances to get out there, then they're not going to get better. Um, you know, for Army, that was only the fourth – he's only thrown four innings since March 20th. Uh, and you throw him out there in that spot to try to – you know, you need wins right now. This isn't the time to be giving guys opportunities to try to figure out what they can do. You need to know by now what guys can give you. And we, we just don't with a lot of guys. I mean, it's not just the pitchers. I mean, with the pitching staff, I just feel like you're not nearly hitting with, – with the, with the guys you have, you're not maximizing your potential. I don't think you're close to maximizing your potential. I mean, basically right now you're getting – not much of any value out of Montgomery in the starter spot, and you don't really have a defined closer either because you're not willing to let Davis Hare, you know, finish out some games for you sometimes. Wyatt, like I said, is a one-day guy. Um, so if you ever get off script that like they got last night and they had to go to someone that they haven't used much this year, then those kind of things happen. You know, on the flip side with the hitters, I mean, you have – a lot of guys who have struggled all year and some guys that have struggled for their career that you keep throwing back out there, you have freshmen that are talented that you just don't use. I mean, Cade Bush two times this year has been put in the game, as, has been in the game for a defensive replacement or starting a game and then came up and not gotten his at-bat, got pinch hit for. He has six at-bats this year. Mays White has one at-bat this year, and I can tell you that's a really talented middle infielder, and FSU has had some middle infielders struggle for a lot of this year. I mean, it's just – I mean, Bassamanis has only six at-bats this year, and your catchers have struggled all year long. Um, at some point, you got to give kids opportunities to prove themselves, and it just doesn't happen. And it's just – it's worrisome for me. You look at Florida, and they, they've recently inserted some of these freshmen – talented freshmen into their lineup and they've produced for them and it's been a big reason why they're starting to turn turn it around late in the season it's just I, I just worry about where we are at in this program developmental wise um and where we're at with with defining roles and, and defining guys for matchups because they just don't feel like they're there right now yeah and i, I don't you know i don't want to speak for andrew armstrong or anything but part of me wonders if he was surprised he was coming into the game against Florida uh, in May, mid-May, you know, like on the road, uh, a very important RPI game, a rubber match for another series against the Gators. It just, to me, it's like you're at a point in the season where it's win now time, right? Like you're in go mode. This is not, let's see what we got here, like you just said. And you have Connor Whitaker warming up. So to me, it was like, well, what was the point of warming up Connor Whitaker if a kid with a sub-2 ERA 
or low two ERA isn't going to come into the game. And I get lefty-lefty matchup, but, like, sometimes, to me, is if you overthink the game too much, you're going to get burned. At some point, you got to trust your players to make those plays one way or another. I would have been fine if Davis Hare gave up a walk-off home run to Thompson because that's your, that's your guy, right? Like, he gave up the home run to Wagner, right, to end the game, and I think you live with that. Yeah, he missed, he missed a pitch, 0-2, and Wagner made him pay at Clemson. But that's your guy. You live with the fact that your best beat my, my best arm at that point. So to me, it's like, are we still experimenting with three regular season games before the ACC tournament with guys? Or are we understanding, and it's not even we or the coaching staff, I think the kids and the players need to understand where they're at within that roster at this point. I don't think they need to be asking each other questions and other things like Brent, uh, like, like Brett Roberts gets taken out of the game in the sixth inning uh, or seventh inning as a defensive replacement. Brett Roberts has been your hottest hitter probably over the last, what, five weeks or so. He's hitting almost 300 now after hitting 240 at one point in the season. Um, and it's happened everywhere, right? Like, and, and you're wondering what, what's going on? Why, why are we making so many changes? And, I don't know. I think this is a really good team, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not here to tell you that I know more about baseball than, than Mike Martin Jr. or, or Belly or Metcalf or, or anyone, really. We're, our job is on this podcast to give our opinions, right, and to kind of break it down for the fans. But I do think those are legitimate questions. I think we have fair concerns, and I, I don't think we're off base um, to raise those questions because the fan base is raising those questions and we kind of are a sounding board for the fan base and kind of the connection between the program and the fans that, that love them so much. So I think Brett, you're within your rights to, to ask questions and, and wonder and, and have a fair answer given to you um, because it just, it can't happen against Florida late. And so it's, it's, it's tough. My, I don't know. my concern is that kids aren't in, the, in their best spots to, to succeed. I don't feel like kids are always put in a spot to succeed for, what fits them best, whether that's with certain approaches or where they're put in the field or where they're put in the, what time they're put in the game for pitchers. Um, you know, with the ninth inning, I mean, I get taking Davis out because of pitch count. Um, you know, I also think he probably could have gotten one more batter and still thrown this upcoming weekend. But, you know, if you're going to take Davis out there, you know, Connor Whitaker has been in those moments before. Um, and I know the splits for Thompson says that he's better against left, righties than lefties, but – Connor Whitaker is a lot better against lefties than, than he is against righties, despite the fact that he's a right-handed pitcher because of that changeup that he has. And he's shown you over and over this year that he can get those guys out in that moment. He can get big hitters out in big moments. I mean, look at what he did at Clemson. Um, and Connor hasn't thrown since last Tuesday. We haven't seen him since then. So it just felt like a time to get him in there. Um, they go Army. What happens, happens. Um, but, you know, like I haven't liked the lineups the last four games. I don't feel like kids are in the right spots to the lineup. Um, I mean, your, your, your cleanup hitter at Florida has zero home runs and, and the second least amount of RBIs of any starter in the lineup and has been slumping recently. That doesn't make sense to me, no matter the matchup. Um, I felt like against Nesbitt from the sixth to the eighth inning, Nesbitt maybe threw two, three, four fastballs and I know FSU's approach is to hit fastballs and think fastball first, but at a certain point, you got to notice that a kid's just throwing junk at you 
and you got to make an adjustment. Whether that's coaching, whether that's hitters, someone's got to sit in a changeup. Someone's got to sit. Like you can't not put anybody on base from the sixth to eighth inning in a tie game and expect to win that game. You can't. And uh, you can't continue to make base running errors. You can't continue to have miscommunications. You can't continue to have, you know, you can't continue to mess up relays, cutoffs. You know, it's just it's. It's worrisome stuff that has gone on for two years in a row with completely different players, and it's a lot of the stuff stays the same, in my opinion, from watching each game the last two years. There's certain things that just haven't changed for positive, and have not changed into positive things, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, mean, I think I want to make myself clear to though that um, I do think Andrew Armstrong will be a good pitcher for Florida State in his career. I think that he's got a role and he's valuable and he's got a future. It just it seems strange in that moment for I that to be the time to bring him out. I mean, I don't know. They just I, I, I think everybody rolled their eye kind of like raised their eyebrows and was like, "Wait, what?" And I 100% then, so. think that Andrew can get lefties out. Like you said, but it's just I mean, he's thrown 14 innings in 2 years here despite the fact that meat has said in press conferences the last two years that he wants to get him in games, but they just haven't. And this is only the second time you've thrown him in a situation like this, and the last time was at Mercer, and that blew up in your face too. And if you look at it, that's two quad one road games that you got walked off on that if you were to win both those quad one games, we're probably almost solidified as a host right now. You're pushing towards a national seed. Yeah, without a doubt. Um. Yeah, I think you want to. I think you want to praise the way I thought Jackson Baumeister pitched. I don't think it was all bad, right? In Gainesville, I think there was a lot of good, as we mentioned. Baumeister was really. I thought you know he got ambushed on the first pitch of the game for a home run, and and you give credit to uh, Wyatt Langford, who I think is a superstar in the making for Florida if he's not already there. Um, and then he hit another home run off of him later. But Jackson really made some big pitches throughout the night. Um, and then if we could parlay that into, I thought Jonas Scalaro had one of the better outing of his outings of his career too yeah so Jackson ambushed by Langford twice kind of um you know I thought second inning was really good to see him get out of a jam like that and get two strikeouts in a timely spot and showed off his fastball quality there um you know got a really ugly swing from from Gachetti I think he had three straight ugly swings on the fastball just and the second inning um but you know Jackson continues to have some issues with efficiency and command you know, it's just kind of the same thing every time with the fastball up. He seems to struggle to make an adjustment at times. Um, but when he's got the fastball and he's got the release point in the right spot, there's times where it can be really unhittable just because it, it, it explodes out of his hand between his extension and his, his pure power on the mound. Um, <clears throat> you know, Jonah got, you know, gave up that hit when he first came in. And, you know, they have the, the double off Jaime's glove as well. But after that, he was really, really good. And, it just shows that what he can do when he kind of gets a clean inning. Um, you know, I wish they would. You know, I think he's shown at this point that he's better off. He's more successful when he comes in with no one on base um, and just gets a clean inning to start and can use all four of his pitches and mix and match against every hitter. Uh, I think that changeup has made Jonah just so much better this year. He's gotten a ton of right-handers out and made a lot of right-handers look silly with the changeup at times. Um, I think he had a career-high 7Ks, tied a career-high 4.1 innings. I think he's done that like three times now this year. Um, but, yeah, he was really good. Gave you a chance, kept you in it. Um, you know, I thought Davis looked really good when he was in there. I thought, you know, I didn't think he was his sharpest, but I thought the, the splitter specifically looked really good. Um, <clears throat> fastball command was a bit all over the place. 
maybe the worst fastball command I've seen him have, but just the splitter by itself, I thought was, I mean, it, it was really, it really had that, that dive on it. It had that tunneling action. Um, I mean, it just looked like a bowling ball at times against those Florida hitters. They just, a lot of them, everyone was just swinging over it um, until Langford had that single to, to end his night. Yeah, he made big pitches when he had to. I mean, it was every time that he was asked to get out of the inning or, you know, have a payoff pitch, so to speak. He made the pitch. And so credit to Davis for, for another strong night, and he's been pitching really well for you lately and, and really this season. Uh, all right, I think we should turn the page. It's a tough loss to Florida. I think losing to the Gators also can raise emotions, just the nature of the beast when you play a rival. Um, overall, I actually thought Florida State played a decent game. Uh, you know, Tibbs had a big home run. Roberts continues to show you great barreling skills. Carry on has turned a corner. I, I was wondering if it was a hot streak for carry on or if he's just really found something that's going to work for him, I think, throughout the, the rest of his career in tally. I think carry on's going to push towards being an all ACC caliber type of player before he leaves Florida State. So um, that's a good thing. The thing is, the, the approach fits Jordan here. You know, Jordan does a really good job of just peppering ball stops at field and just giving what pitchers take him and. You know, that's, he's shown that since he's got here in fall. And, you know, I thought he may be able to be a leadoff guy back in fall after I saw him a few times just because of the way he works at bats and just puts the ball in play and, you know, just plays with so much energy and runs all over the place. Um, B-Rob had a couple of really hard hit balls last night. At, you know, that ball to right field is probably gone at Hauser. I mean, it's at least off the fence for sure. Um, you know, it kind of takes an indent back at, at Florida for their bullpen pretty deep out in that right field alley uh, but he gave that ball a real good drive and um, Tibbs obviously you know it's good to see him kind of break out of that rut he was in over the weekend uh, really loud contact off of I think it was still Ficarota there um, and it was good to see FSU get some hard contact off Ficarota um, trying to think of any other offensive guys from last night um, we keep kind of monitoring Logan Lacey and oh, what yes, he's doing, yeah. uh, I'm, his average is now up, I believe, like 20 points since where it was a couple weeks ago. So um, and he's that, a kid. He's a kid, Brett. Like if he gets hot for you at the right time, it does change the complexion of your lineup. Yeah, and I mean he he was hot at the right time last year too. I mean, obviously he was more consistent last year and had a really good year overall. But especially at the end of the year, he gave you a chance to win. I mean, he think he had a th- home run in each of the regional games. So. Maybe month, maybe the month of May and June are going to get Logan Lacey going and back to his old self. Um, last night looked like the old Logan Lacey. It looked like what he looked like all last year. Um, you know, hard contact to the pull side. He lays down a bunt, makes some nice defensive plays. He made one really nice defensive play to his left that he was really aggressive on. Um, you know, getting a slow roller in front of Jordan. And I know, you know, Meat always tells the third baseman to go get that ball and really attack it as much as they can. So I thought that was really good to see. Um, if you can get him in a groove, it, it, it obviously makes a big difference. Yeah, Jaime Ferrer also, again, starting to look good and, and feel comfortable at the plate. Really talented hitter. Um, we did see Brock Mathis get a start. I think that was notable. They, they gave him a shot against a rival uh, on a Tuesday. And Brock had a couple of good at-bats, worked a couple of walks. Um, I do think, you know, you mentioned it, that the there's – there's a little bit of a steadiness to Colton behind the plate that um, Brock is still trying to figure out right now behind the dish, and um, we saw moments there. But they're going to keep continuing to figure out what works best for that lineup. And uh, I maintain, you know, I think you need to have Brock Mathis's bat somewhere in the lineup if you can get it in there. Um, 
and you mentioned it, maybe once a weekend, or um, find him some at-bats, because the bat plays, in my opinion, uh, at this level. So I, I, I don't know. It's, Brock's power plays at this level. Yeah, I 100% agree he poses more of a threat than Colton Vincent, but to add another guy in there that has really high strikeout rate, I just I worry what it I worry that you could have more I don't know it's just I mean he's striking out forty three percent of the time now I just think we're kind of over I think we're over exaggerating the difference between those two guys to play it personally just in my opinion that's the thing with Colton is I know the average is really low but when Colton comes up with guys on second and third you know that you're going to get a ball in play and and. And, you know, usually drives into Ryan or gets a job done. It's just it, – overall, it's just a tough situation at the catcher spot, as we've mentioned multiple times this year. Um, but I don't know. I just – once again, I wish they gave Bass and Menez a chance at some point. I just uh, – Terrell's been struggling a little bit at the plate here again over the last couple of weeks. Um, again, last night, the like you mentioned earlier, the, just the off-speed pitches have really – um, fooled him. I mean, he's he's having a tough time laying off. Yeah, so he's hunting fastballs nonstop, and when he catches one, it goes a long way. It's just, I'd like to see a bit of a better plate approach from him, where he's got a, a more of a plan. Uh, but no doubt, right? Like Alex Terrell, if he connects on one, it's game changing power. And in the postseason, that could be what what the doctor orders in a certain game. But I, I just don't know what else. Really, there's no other. There's really no other. other I guess, option at first base. Like, he is your best overall option at the plate and defensively to play first. I think when Alex is going good, it's when Alex is laying off pitches below the zone. When Alex is not going good is when he's swinging at all those change-ups, and it kind of seems like his back path is the same thing every time. And I felt like we saw a bit of that last night, and that was a little bit worrisome for me. Um, I'm, You know, he wasn't great Miami weekend. He wasn't awful either. But, you know, no one's going to know Alex better than Miami does. Um, no one's going to, you know, have a better game plan for Al- for Alex than Miami does just because of how well they know him. Um, but the UF game was a little worrisome for me. It just felt like they were able to throw the same thing over and over again to him, and he struggled to make an adjustment a little bit. At the end of the day, though, Alex still leads you in home runs. He still leads you in RPI. I mean, RBI. But um, – so I don't think that guy should be hitting eighth, and that's just my opinion. I just, you need your run producers up in the order a little bit more, I think. Yeah, and I still see a weekend for Alex, and I told you this when we were driving back from Gainesville. Um, I still see a weekend for Alex where he's going to hit you three home runs, and it's going to change the whole complexion of the weekend. So we'll see well i think time will tell and and i'm hopeful that that, that my prediction comes true there that that alex still has like a one big weekend left this season where it it does make a, a major difference and then we'll see but it, it it just still feels like there hasn't been that one weekend where everyone has clicked where it feels like mm-hmm. or you have like these four guys that are starting to i thought louisville the bats yeah. three games maybe like that they, was the one weekend yeah. yeah but other than that it's felt like most of the time you have three or four guys going in the right direction, and then you have three or four guys going in the opposite direction. For sure. For sure. And when the bats are good, the the pitching hasn't been as consistent as you want it to be, and uh, the pitching has been consistent most of the season, and then the bats don't kind of give you what they need. But, I, hey, man, maybe this is the time of year, right? Like maybe they go to North Carolina and 
you figure something out on the road in Chapel Hill. They're about to stay on the road for a while. I think they're bussing to Charlotte from Chapel Hill to start the ACC tournament. They're going to do big shooters, uh, Chip Baker's putt-putt tournament that they always do at the end of the year. And it might be a good opportunity for them to kind of bond as a club and, and kind of have baseball time where class is out and you have an extended road trip. Um, but let's can we talk about some North Carolina? Yeah. You down for that? UNC is 31-19. and 19. And they are 12 and 15 in the ACC. They're phenomenal at home, 26 and five. And it's a team, I think, fighting right now to make the NCAA tournament. RPI is really good, just one below Florida State at 22. So I think a series win for North Carolina this weekend will be really important for them if they want to make the NCAAs. Florida State has a lot on the line as well. And they're going to go there and play a Carolina team that I believe is eight and two in its uh, last 10 contests. They play uh, UNC Wilmington, I want to say, tonight on Wednesday. So they've got one more game before they see the Knolls, or maybe they played last night. I'm not really sure. They, I know they played Wilmington or were supposed to, um, but pretty good lineup. They hit 279 as a lineup. Danny Soretti, 366. Angel Zarate, 340. Those are the, the guy, the guys that stand out at the top of the order and they'll, they'll bat, I think first three top three of the order. Hunter Stokely, 288. Vance Honeycutt's a stud, 279 with 15 bombs and 40 RBIs. I think he's like 6'2 or 6'3 and steals a ton of bags, 27 for 30 on the year. So it's like a full projectable MLB-level talent. Um, and he's hit, I think, like six home runs in his last seven games or, or something like that. But Mikey Maddich has been around the block for UNC for a couple of years, 279, a guy who gets on base at a high clip. And they've got a, a couple of other guys that can do damage with the bats. Johnny Castagnazzi, Alberto Osuna, and Mac Horvath have combined for 40 home runs between the three. So a lot of pop from UNC, 71 total home runs. And they've, they've got a good lineup, man. They've, they've got this lineup that's full of righties, which will be interesting against FSU's two lefties. And I think pitching has been their biggest question mark. But at home, UNC has been excellent all season long. Yeah, 26-6 and six at home. Um, you know, the biggest thing about their lineup, I think, is outside of Honeycutt, they don't strike out very much, it seems, um, especially those top three guys, um, average-wise, Serrati, Zerati, and Stokely. Um, just a tough, tough, pers- tough, tough at-bats, uh, tough kids to put away. Um, Zerati and Serrati, I feel like, have been there forever. Same thing with Castagnazzi and Frick. Um, man, I feel like they've been there for a long time. Those names, I feel like, are there every single year. But uh, Honeycutt's a pretty special freshman talent. Um, does have a, a good bit of swing and miss in his game, though. 74 strikeouts so far this year. Um, but, man, he's <clears throat> he's one of those rare power speed combos. Uh, 15 home runs, 27 stolen bases. Uh Matt Horvath's kind of the same way, 15 home runs, and he also has 17 stolen bases. Uh, those are the two, only two guys in their lineup that really run. Outside of that, not much action on the base pass. Um, but those two guys at the top of the order, they present a large threat either way. If they put the ball over the fence or if they get on base, um, they're going to make some action happen, uh, happen for uh, the Tar Heels. Yeah, I actually was looking up while you were uh, breaking them down a little bit. Uh, UNC and UNC Wilmington was canceled. I uh, don't know if I don't know if that was one of those ones where that, is that RPI the, the trend saver? in RPIs? But UNC Wilmington's only ninety two in RPI, which would be quad two. So there's nothing on UNC's Twitter about it being canceled. It just says canceled on their website. I think it said UNC Wilmington said travel, which has kind of been 
the word for we canceled because of RPI. Uh, NCAA has got to do something about that, in my opinion. I don't know if this is certainly a case, but there have been a lot of cases of that. Teams canceling games this week because they don't want their their RPI to get hurt. Um, well, then don't schedule them in the first place. Schedule someone that's actually some real competition. Um, you shouldn't be able to just cancel in the middle of the season just because you you don't want your strength to schedule hurt. That seems like a bit of BS to me. I, don't, I just I don't think that's that's been a trend before. It seems like something that just started this year. Um, but it, it seems quite ridiculous to me. Yeah, I'm not real sure. This one's interesting, though, because the game was supposed to be played in Wilmington, so it would have been a road opportunity. Um, I don't know. Anyway, so North Carolina ended up not playing the midweek game, but it's a it's a decent team. They play really well at home, and Max Carlson will go Fridays for them. He's a kid who I believe had an arm injury in the fall and um, had a, a mini operation to clean things up, and Really good stuff, 65 strikeouts in 51 innings, 368 ERA. He does not last very long in those 51 innings and 13 appearances, so look for him to be out of the game by the fifth inning. Usually he goes about four innings, and then they go to the bullpen. But really good stuff when he's in, live fastball, some good breaking stuff, and he's a competitor. Parker Messick's going to have to be on his A game. Uh, I am interested to see how Florida State decides to do the rotation this weekend. If they go Parker, Bryce, um, back to Carson Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You're dealing with a couple days short rest and, and things like that as well. So keep an eye out on that. We haven't heard anything different. Uh, but yeah, Carlson's a righty. Brandon Schaefer goes game twos for North Carolina. He's a lefty, kind of a low three fourths arm slot kid. Gives up a lot of hits. Teams are hitting 301 against him. Doesn't strike out a ton, only 50 and 67 innings pitched, but respectable ERA at 4.16, and he's had some good appearances this year. Doesn't walk a ton of guys. I think he was a JUCO transfer um, that they brought in. And then on Sundays, it's been anybody's guess, but recently they've been going with Connor Bovere. I believe he's a righty, 44 innings, 30 walks in those 44 innings, but good stuff with 44 strikeouts, but does have a problem with home runs, 11 home runs in 44 innings. So... Florida State's got the pitching advantage, I think, by a wide shot, actually, this weekend. It's just going to have to be one of those things where can this team play consistently on the road? Because Carolina does have enough in the bats and just enough with the arms. I think they also have a couple of really good relievers that they rely on to beat you two out of three. Uh, but FSU's going to have to go there, match energy, be able to create their own energy the way that they have at Hauser and um, this is a good time to win two out of three because if you do, I think you've put yourself over the hump to host that regional. Yeah, on the mound, um, UNC for the most part is, is pretty experienced, especially in the bullpen. Um, FSU faced Carlson last year. I'm pretty sure they did some damage off him. I believe he was their Sunday starter last year as a freshman. Maybe it was Saturday. Um, you know, works very much off his fastball, lively fastball with some real spin quality to it. Um, like Arya said, he just doesn't go very far deep into outings, has inefficiency, and walks can be um, open to walking some guys, but only a 208 average against in 65Ks um, and 51 innings. The Schaefer kid, I don't really know how his ERA is, only a 416 when he has a 301 average against and has given up 11 home runs. Uh, but he's a strike thrower and he's going to be in the zone, so you got to be ready to hit. Um, Palermo. You know, hard thrown righty, four saves this year, 2.25 ERA and 28 appearances. Uh, you know, Caden O'Brien and Sean Rapp are both veteran lefties. 
that um, you know they can kind of throw in, in any any moment, anywhere, for as long as they need to. You know, Raps the guy they go to the most. He's got 36 appearances this year. Um, that's pretty crazy so far for. I think that they've only played you know 50 games, but you know one other, a couple other names: Gage Gillian and Chad and PV House, Nick Pry. Those are all probably guys we'll see this weekend as well. I believe they're all right-handers. Um, uh, but you know, there's not not super pretty ERAs all over the place, but just a lot of veteran guys that have thrown a, a lot in their their college careers. That um, you know, they're not going to, you know, they're probably going to be up for this moment, and and you know, they've got to play well this weekend too to, to solidify themselves um, as a spot in the tournament. So um, you know, you're going to get UNC's very best effort this weekend, and, and you've got to be ready to go. Yeah, six o'clock Thursday, six o'clock Friday and 2 o'clock on Saturday. And then Florida State will get a couple days off and head to Charlotte and play the ACC tournament there, and it's postseason time. So uh, quickly looking at the RPIs, Florida State right now 21. As we mentioned earlier, you're fighting with probably Virginia for the fifth and final uh, regional spot for the ACC. I think the ACC will get five just because of the strength of the conference this season. Notre Dame seems safe. Uh, Virginia Tech and Miami are safe. Louisville will be interesting. Their RPI, though, is 10 right now, and I just think at this point they're ahead of Florida State. Um, also have a, a better ACC record at 16, 10, and 1. Louisville and Virginia do play each other this weekend, so that could uh, end up benefiting Florida State in one way or another. The Knolls do have a shot still to, I believe, win the ACC Atlantic if some things go their way um, this weekend. So... Keep an eye out on that. I think, you know, you're also fighting with some Big 12 teams and a, an SEC team or two. Vanderbilt has started to creep back into the picture. Um, and some Florida, the, the Gators have a chance, I think, to host if they – I mean, they've been surging lately. 13 RPI, 7 strength of schedule. I think they play three games against South Carolina this weekend and then go to Hoover for the SEC tournament. And it wouldn't be completely out of the realm of possibility that the Gators – get red hot and find a way to host but um, Southern Miss again and that's another team you're fighting with so if you're keeping score track of scores this weekend see what the uh, Golden Eagles are doing over there in Hattiesburg um, but yeah Brett uh, D1 baseball has Florida State as a regional host right now and that means the respect is starting to be earned and you win two out of three like we said against North Carolina we've been getting a lot of questions on Twitter about what does FSU need to do to get that hosting spot, and I think the answer is pretty clear. You just got to win two. Yeah, I think more so than anything, you just got to win this series this weekend. Um, you know, I don't put too much into those projections just because, I don't know, it's it's a projection. That's just what it is. It's not – if the season ended today, I, I, I don't really think Florida State would be a host, maybe, but, you know, I don't think they'd be a 12 and ahead of some of the teams that they're ahead. But um, – you know, I just think it's going to be Florida State versus whoever loses that Louisville-Virginia series. I know Louisville's pretty up there right now. I don't totally get it. Um, you know, I know they have a good record, but, I mean, their strength schedule is 25. But the thing that stands out to me is their strength schedule in non-conference play is 172. They've played 12, 12 games in the quad four. Uh, FSU, I think, has only played four in quad four. And FSU also has swept Louisville. So you have that over Louisville. Um, so I think just, you know, you're, if you win your series, you're going to have a similar or same or better record than whoever comes out of that series of the series loss. Um, 
Baseball America had FSU behind Virginia. D1 Baseball had FSU ahead of Virginia. So a bit of a guessing game with everyone right now. But um, like Aria said, you, you, you got to win. That's all that matters. It's just you really still control your own destiny, I think. Yeah, I've maintained, I think, for now a couple of weeks. I think I remember saying it on one of our podcasts maybe three or four episodes ago. If you win 17 ACC games, the track record and the history of teams that host NCAA regionals in the ACC, that number is a pretty good one to get. So that's where I feel we need to get to, 17. And if you go one and one in the ACC tournament after that, I think you've locked it. Um, I think you've left no doubt to the committee. So The thing, the thing that stings is like – feels very similar to last year where one loss against BC and one loss against Stamp- Samford and one loss against Stetson really hurt you on your RPI where yeah those three are kind of real big dampers on you right now and that feels like the reason that you're not, that the RPI is at 21 not because not because of the, you know you've won enough series it's just some of these games you've lost against really low RPI teams have just it they sting it that's the thing that I don't love about RPIs. It feels like it emphasizes bad losses more than it emphasizes good wins, if that makes sense. It, it, it's almost like if you just have good wins, then you're going to be in a good spot with RPI, like with Florida. I think they're like 8-15 and 15 or something in quad one, but they're still ahead of FSU just because they don't have those bad losses. So <sighs> RPIs, it's just a weird thing. I just, I'm not a huge fan of it. But It's going to be a very high-stress weekend, Brett. The thing is, if it's this... <laughs> My thing is, if it's the same, if committee's going to do the same thing they did last year, the only thing they went off last year was RPI. It was nothing else. That was the only thing they that went off. That was a weird year, though, I think, for them as well, the committee, just because there was less plot points. But that was, that's my, like, that was the one year to not go off RPI. Right. But and they, they still did. They even, like, put down how many, you know, remember the, the host sites, yeah. like, weeks before. It was that. like they had 20 host sites that they could choose from, and Florida State had played well to end the season, but it wouldn't have mattered. Anyway, because FSU wasn't one of the original 20 host sites that they announced and they cited COVID and trying to make sure that ballparks had enough time to prepare, whatever. This is a different season. I think we're back to normal. This weekend's going to be really important for Florida State. So we'll break that down next week before the ACC tournament. We'll have all of our seedings and our pairings for those pods in Charlotte and um, just tune in. I think Brett's got one more thing he wants to touch on before we start. Yeah, I was just going to say for ACC tournament, it goes by percentage points because I know a couple people have asked because I think um, Notre Dame and who's the other team? There's one other team that's played less games than everyone else. I think it might be Louisville or Louisville has a tie or something. I don't know how that happened. But NC State maybe? Yeah, some, one of those teams has one less game than FSU. I think NC State is correct, actually. Um, so it goes off percentage points. And then um, tiebreaker is first, it's head-to-head. But if you haven't played head-to-head like FSU's with Virginia, then it goes off your record in your division. FSU's 10-8 in the Atlantic, and Virginia is 9-9 in the Coastal, so FSU would be ahead of them if they were to have a tie on their ACC record. Um, Number one and number two are determined by division winners, um, not by percentage points. So whoever will be the Coastal winner will probably be number one as of now, and whoever is the Atlantic winner, winner will be number two. And then after that, it will be from there on. It will be determined by percentage points. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back next week to to have the pod, and um, Brett and I will will try and chat about Charlotte. But 
want to thank a lot of you for listening this season. We're about near 40,000 listens now, and, and that's uh, something that we're both really grateful for. And We're on Apple Pods. We're on Spotify. Continue bringing your questions, and we will definitely try and uh, get back with you guys next week. Big series for Florida State this weekend in North Carolina. This has been Sunday Golds. We'll talk to you soon.